At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. What's up, family? Thank you for tuning in to the Dream Nation podcast. My name is Casanova. I'll be your host, and I'm excited to be bringing to you entrepreneurs, thought leaders, and trailblazers from around the world. Stay locked in with us because we're about to go on a journey that will change your life. What's up, Dream Nation? We are back again with another episode that I am sure will have an impact on your life. Today, we have one of the greats when it comes to the online digital world and also the blogging and just the creator world. We have Mr. Ryan Scribner. I'm pretty good with names, but I just got to hear it the first time. So it's all good, man. I appreciate you coming on here. This is going to be a really dope episode. I'm sure of it. We were just talking before we went live about how you've gotten to the space that you are now. And so I always love to make sure that we can give the proper introduction. And so the way that I like to describe it is I think of us as entrepreneurs just like superheroes. And what do I mean by that? We're constantly putting on a cape, we're flying around the world, and we're trying to solve problems, whether they be our own or obviously other people's problems as well. So before you begin to have this big blog and a YouTube channel with over a half a million subscribers, if we can take it back to before all of your superstardom, Tell us, who is Ryan Scribner? Yeah, definitely. So uh, obviously, most people are familiar with where I'm at today, which is, uh, you know, having a large audience on YouTube. I've been doing that full time since 2017. And I also am the co-owner of a up and coming finance blog, Investing Simple. Um, but a lot of people, I think when they see somebody having a certain level of success or income or whatever it may be, there's a lot of assumptions out there about, uh, things being handed to you or, oh, it must be nice when you have, you know, the silver spoon in your mouth. You're we kind of talking about that earlier on. And uh, people generally look at me and assume that maybe I had, you know, uh, you know, money from parents or things like that. Or I was able to like somehow finance my business through money from other people. Um, but I've kind of had a totally different story rather than what most people think in terms of where how I got to where I am today. Um, so when I was younger, for the most part, I had a basic middle class life. If you looked up like middle class in the dictionary, it probably would be like me and my family as the dev definition of that. Uh, but there was kind of a stark contrast when my parents got divorced. I was like 15. And because, you know, the income got split in half, uh, my mom and I and my brother ended up having to rent a house. Uh, and I went from this middle class lifestyle of pretty much having new clothes and like not having to worry about things like, you know, whatever groceries we wanted, we just put it on a list. And, you know, my mom went out and got them to all of a sudden it was like, OK, you know, I had to learn coupon clipping and my mom was on food stamps. And so we had to like budget it and, you know, make sure we're not spending money on maybe like name brands and things like that. So I had kind of that contrast there of like, okay, you know, I had this middle class upbringing for about the first 15 years of my life and then quickly shifted into, you know, renting and being in a much smaller home and, you know, utilizing food stamps and having to make the most of your money. Uh, and so that was one of the lessons for me when I was younger about like how important money is, because when you have money, it's something you don't really have to worry about. You don't think about right. things like, oh, should I buy, you know name brand milk or do I buy this off brand milk? But when you don't have money, you have to start making those decisions. Um, and then beyond that, I mean, I did end up uh, going to college. And um, after my parents were able to sell their marital home, uh, 
financially, they were both better off. My mom was able to buy a house and then it wasn't so shaky. But for a while there, when uh, they were looking to sell their home pretty much during the housing market crash too, it was like 2011. So it was a terrible time to be trying to sell a home. Uh, so there was a one year period there where things were very shaky financially, uh, even to the point where like my mom was, you know, pawning off some of her jewelry just to kind of pay rent and make ends meet. Uh, and that kind of was, you know, hard to see, you know, just from my standpoint of like, wow, you know, when you don't have money, you really have to make these sacrifices that aren't very fun or comfortable. Right. Um, so just kind of seeing that growing up really instilled in me the importance of money. And I got to see this contrast of like being in this middle class family to like, OK, now we're not so middle class and we're on food stamps and, you know, couponing and my mom's selling her jewelry to pay rent. So it was this really interesting contrast. Um, so it really had an impact on my decisions for college and whatnot, because uh, when I decided to go to college, I didn't really think about, hey, what am I passionate about? What am I interested in? I looked at it like strictly from a financial standpoint, um, which at college I, I went and I graduated, but I don't, I don't obviously I don't use my degree anymore. Um, As but most I ended people up, don't. Yeah, exactly. Um, but I looked at it from a financial standpoint, which I wouldn't recommend because you have to have some level of passion and interest in what you do for a living. Uh, but I ended up getting a degree in electrical construction. Uh, I went to a community college. My degree cost me like twelve thousand um, dollars. In that respect, I did have a little bit of the silver spoon, I guess, because my grandfather had set aside ten thousand dollars for everyone to go to college. So. That paid for most of my tuition and I just had to pay for, you know, my tools and my books and things like that. So I was really, you know, fortunate to have that opportunity. But when I left college, I ended up getting a job for the local power utility. And it's funny because this is another one of those things where I got to see like firsthand the experience of what not having money can look like. Because when you get a job for the power utility that I worked at, um, they start everyone off as temporary and pretty much everybody there starts off as either a flagger um, or a past due bill collector. And so at the point in time when I applied for this job, it was them hiring their uh, past due bill collectors because it's a temporary job. They're only able to do shutoffs from like April to maybe November. They can't shut off in the winter because of obviously re reasons for people need heat here in the Northeast. Right. Uh, so I'm from upstate New York, if, if that if I didn't mention that already. Uh, so I ended up being a past due bill collector. And essentially what I did, you know, Monday through Friday, eight hours a day was every day I got my list of people and I would go to the doors and I would knock on the door and I would have to say, hey, I, I need to you need to issue me payment here for this past due bill or I got to shut your power off. Right. Um, and that was really like tough. Because, I mean, it was tough, but it was also a really good experience for me because I got to, again, see like how bad it can be when you don't have, you know, money. And I saw people just at, at such a terrible, at such a struggle in their lives, because what a lot of people don't realize is in terms of if you're behind on bills, pretty much the last person you wouldn't pay is your power company, because if you don't pay your credit cards, you know, you have a grace period until they're coming after you or, or you know, uh, reporting you to the credit agencies. And if you don't pay rent or your mortgage, again, there's like a six month process for foreclosures or evictions. But if you don't pay the power company, in, in some cases, they're out there the next week to shut your power off. So in a lot of cases, I was seeing people like at their breaking point where everything had stacked up. And finally, you know, it, it's the reality sets in that like, hey, you know, the lights are going out, air conditioners going off and it's like 95 degrees. So that job was not glamorous by any means. It was confrontational. I had a lot of run ins with uh, less desire, just bad experiences. Um, people would get very angry. I would I had been, you know, chased by dogs. I had one guy come after me with a crowbar at one point. So it was really just it was not a great experience in terms of what it was as far as the confrontational aspect, but it was just really important to me to see like how, what, what it can be like when you don't have, you know, when you don't have a lot of money and the struggles that you can go through. And I decided number one, I don't ever want to experience that. Number two, I don't want people that I know around me to experience that. 
And number three, I want to help people to not experience that overall. Um, and so that kind of segued into, you know, me being passionate about, uh, you know, I've always been interested in money, but I became more interested in like, okay, why is there such this, such a contrast here of you could have one family that's, you know, middle class and has, you know, groceries and stuff and all their things that they need. And then you have other families that may not have air conditioning this summer or even power because they're getting their, their uh, power shut off. And that just became very interesting to me. Um, and I've always kind of been somebody who's very passionate about finances and money and investing. So I guess it all kind of uh, snowballed together into wanting to share information about uh, basically financial education. And I realized that a lot of what you learn in school isn't necessarily what helps you in the real world in terms of like real skills that are going to help you avoid situations like, you know, getting behind on credit cards or getting your power shut off. So I think that really helped me uh, to understand like the importance of, you know, financial literacy. Got it. I love it. And you said a lot of good things in there um, about really the experiences led you to the perspectives. It really led you to understand what you didn't want in life, because a lot of the times we look at these jobs and we don't understand that they're really serving us to figure out what it is that we do want to do. And so for everything that you didn't like, like having to shut off people's power and electricity, you know, having to budget money because obviously your parents were then split up. And by the way, something that I was wondering is where did your dad go? Like, how come I get it that there was now two separate incomes, but did he just stop contributing altogether? Like, what was that like? Uh, he actually, he moved back in with my grandfather and he contributed like um, the child support or whatever. Uh, but it wasn't like, it wasn't the income that we were used to. And, and we were actually all kind of strapped because he was still paying for the mortgage for the marital property that hadn't sold. And then my mom was for the first time basically paying an entire household of rent and groceries, et cetera. And with, even with the child support, it just, it wasn't making ends meet, you Got know? It. So, and also my dad having been, my dad's a financial advisor. So that's also kind of where I uh, got my interest in money. And it was 2011. It wasn't a great time to be a financial advisor, you know, during the post uh, recession period there. So all in all, it was just uh, not a great time for my family uh, in general with finances or just, you know, the shakeup of the divorce. Yeah, no, I, and a lot of people experience that and it's never good for any families. Obviously, when you have a foundation that's built that way, that could be detrimental, especially to the kids. So kudos to you for not putting your head down and saying like, hey, I'm at fault, you know. Um, I'm going to go out and actually make something out of this whole situation. Now, let's fast forward, though, because where you really started to take off and be able to teach people is you found your voice. And so talk to me about where did because it's one thing to just have an interest and a passion in uh, YouTube or whether it's YouTube or whether it's just personal finance, but you were able to bridge the two together. So talk to me about what did 2016, 2017 look like for you? And how did you really start to find your voice? Yeah, absolutely. So the good news is the job I had at the power utility company doing the past due bill collections, it was, was just a temporary job. So I worked in that position for eight months. And then when the, or six to eight months, something like that, when the collection season ended, you were able to bid for a permanent position. And so I was able to bid into a different department and I became a utility planner. So essentially my job was to go out and if there was a new customer looking to uh, tie into the power line, I would go out there and figure out how to best serve that customer. And I liked that job better because number one, it wasn't confrontational. And um, number two, I was actually utilizing my degree uh, as far as like the blueprints and the planning aspect. But my problem that I had with that job is that it was pretty much like three hours of work spread across eight hours in a given day. And so I had a lot of downtime. And I mean, it was pretty much like, hey, you got to kind of make yourself look busy, whether it's, you know, reading up on uh, electrical code or utility code and things like that. And so I had a lot of downtime. And so people around me, you know, my peers in that office spent a lot of time, you know, gossiping or having conversations about lawnmowers and turn radius and stuff like that. So there was a lot of gossip and stuff going on. 
And not that there's anything wrong with that. That's just not really my style. I like to be you know, productive and working towards something. And so rather than spending my time you know, gossiping or, I don't know, doing some of these other activities that they were, I was just dedicating myself towards improving myself. And so I, I couldn't necessarily like uh, read books at my desk or anything like that, unless it was like the electrical code. But I would work on projects for the company, but I, I would, you know, throw an earbud in and I would listen to a podcast, which again, that's why podcasts like this are so important because that's part of what got me motivated and started was listening to podcasts just like this one. So I would listen to podcasts or I would go on YouTube and listen to different videos. I was a big fan of like Gary Vaynerchuk and uh, Tony Robbins and just some of that motivational stuff. And uh, I would spend a lot of time reading as well, um, not at work, but just during my lunch break and things like that. And I remember after I read Rich Dad, Poor Dad, which is such a pivotal book for many entrepreneurs. Myself um, included. Yep. I just became obsessed with the idea of like making money outside of a job. And I was thinking back to the situation where, like I said, I got chased by somebody holding a crowbar when I was trying to shut their power off. And I remember like after that happened, uh, like my, my adrenaline was pumping, man. I mean, I've always been pretty good at defusing situations. So he wasn't going to attack me, but he, he came out with a crowbar and he's, he came running out at me and I had to like calm him down. Um, but I remember like driving back to work to the, to the home base there before I went home in the company vehicle, like thinking to myself, I'm like, okay, so this is what I'm doing for money. I am showing up at a, a dangerous home and getting chased by somebody and putting myself in dangerous situations for, I think at the time I was making $27 an hour, which is good pay. But I was like, how, how is this all that I can provide to the world? Like, this is all I can offer is just shutting off power. And it's kind of scary because I heard from a friend of mine who, uh, who worked for that company still that last year, one of the collectors that I worked with, because there were a few people who did collections permanently and not just temporary. One of the collectors who was a woman ended up getting assaulted uh, and ended up in the hospital for a while over some confrontation that arose from shutting off someone's power. So that was, it's just scary, you know, to think that that's what I, I, to me, it was scary to think this is what I have to do to make a living. How did I, you know, how did I end up in this situation where I'm shutting off power to make money? I, I just didn't like it. And so between rich dad, poor dad, and those past experiences, and just kind of like fueling myself with this motivational stuff, I was like, there's got to be a better way to make money outside of just either shutting off people's power for a living or doing this mindless blueprint work that I'm not even really passionate about. Um, and I remember at the time, I, I mean, like I said, I've always been super interested in finance in the stock market and investing. And because I was making good money, I was um, living at home with my mom. Uh, I really had no, no real expenses. I was driving an old beat up Honda Civic or sorry, Honda CRV. That was like 15 years old. It was my mom's old car I bought from her. I think I was chipping in like 600 bucks a month to my mom for like the mortgage and whatnot. Um, but other than that, I literally had no expenses. I did like, I like didn't spend any money. So I was able to save like somewhere around $1,500 per month, sometimes like 2000. It was a lot of money. And I yeah. decided to invest that money. So I was putting it into the stock market, learning about index funds and things like that. Um, and I remember one day I was sitting there at my desk and like I said, I would pop my earbud in and I would listen to podcasts and YouTube videos. And I said, okay, well, I want to learn more about the stock market. Um, let me just punch that into YouTube. So I typed in like stock market on YouTube and hit enter. And after watching a couple of videos, something clicked for me because I was like, all right, number one, there's not that much content out here related to the stock market on YouTube. And number two, the information was, you know, not necessarily uh, not the best information, you know, so it wasn't the highest quality. It was a lot of stuff that was just kind of videos that were thrown together and they were getting hundreds of thousands of views. So that was like a light bulb in my head moment. I was like, clearly there's a demand here for this stock market type videos and educational finance videos. And it doesn't appear that it's being filled. And I found a couple of channels that had started doing that. I mean, I'll drop the names here. Financial education was one. And the other one was Jack Chapel. And these guys were putting out 
good videos and they were getting thousands of views. And I was, and I was watching their channels. I was like, wow, I should be doing this too. And then I, I was like, screw it. I'll do it. Why not? I can, you know, do some research on these videos while I'm at work, record them in the evenings. And so then I started doing that actually on my lunch break in my car, I would uh, take my lunch break, drive over to the Walmart, oddly enough, near where I worked, I park, I would park behind the Walmart and just record these videos in my car talking about like uh, credit score, opening a bank account, things like that. And I just Straight started from throwing phone. these all from, well, I, I did buy a, uh, a, like the cheapest $200 digital camera at Best Buy, but it might, it might as well have been my phone, to be honest with you. Hmm. So I bought the cheapest camera, a little flexible mount, popped it on my, uh, my uh, driver, my steering wheel. And I just started recording videos on my car and throwing them out there on YouTube. And then once they started gaining a little bit of traction, I said, okay, I should probably up my production quality from, you know, a 15 year old car behind a Walmart. So I ended up going to Staples and I bought a whiteboard and I put it up in my spare bedroom at my mom's and I bought some lighting and I started just recording videos on that whiteboard. And I just really enjoyed that. And, and for me, you know, I didn't feel like I was making an impact with the job I had because I was essentially a paper pusher and I did utility planning blueprints. I didn't feel like I was having any kind of profound impact on the world. And it just wasn't a job that served me. Uh, and, and again, just circle back. That's why I I can say for a fact I made the mistake early on of of, of uh, solely going after the money when I was looking at what I wanted to do for a living. Because I, I when I was looking at college degrees, I said, what's going to make me the most money for the lowest investment? And that did work in terms of making a lot of money. But like I wasn't satisfied in terms of like uh, what I wanted to be doing. Right. Now, yeah. there's a lot of people out there that, that are listening at that and they say, okay, that's great. But the first thing that I think that I would have a question about is you found these two guys, right? Financial education. And you said Jack's channel. And mm -hmm. I've, I've seen videos from both of those, which is funny. But did you reach out to them to try to get mentorship? Did you buy their courses or did you just decide they have uh, great channels? They're putting out great content. I'm going to start putting out content. And then how did you start to create the content? Like, because being so new to it, I think it overwhelms a lot of people. Yeah. So at that time, these guys didn't really have courses or anything. I mean, uh, financial education, for example, was like just starting. I think he had like 9,000 subscribers or something. He was still pretty small. And mm. Jack Chapel was somewhere around that same size. Um, so they didn't really have courses or anything. And um, I've always been really good at uh, teaching myself stuff. So it was kind of a matter of just, okay, I'm going to go on YouTube and Google or go on YouTube or Google and search like how to set up lighting uh, and things like that. And, and I will also mention too, in high school, I did take some classes on uh, video production and editing. So I did have a little bit of background in like Photoshop and uh, video editing. Uh, so, so I you did were have... doing everything yourself. You were learning oh, yeah. it, you were recording it, you were editing it. Everything was yourself. Yeah, exactly. And so like, I didn't necessarily have all of the skills necessary, but I've always been very resourceful. So like, you know, if, if I was trying to do like when I was setting up my studio, rather than recording in my car, I set up that studio at my mom's with the whiteboard. And like, I had to figure out how to light a whiteboard without having really bad glare. So I would just kind of Google this stuff and learn about lighting. And then I would buy the lighting and set it up. And so it just became this continuing process of learning and implementing and improving. Um, and so I think that a lot of people get caught up uh, with the idea of not knowing all of the steps required. But to be honest with you, you only need to know like the next step in front of you. You don't have to, you don't know how, you don't need to know how to accomplish step 57. You could, if you can do step one and then figure out step two, and then when you're done, figure out step three, that's really all you need to do. Mm. Because I didn't necessarily have any idea how I was going to make money from this, uh, how I was going to grow the channel, how I was going to make thumbnails, any of that. But I just figured out, okay, today I'm going to figure out how to do the lighting. And then I figured out the lighting and then it was like, okay, now I'm going to figure out what's the best cheap editing software or free editing software I can use. And then I figured that out. So if we focus on 
step 57, it's just, we're all, we're going to get overwhelmed. And I, I find myself doing this sometimes too, but if you simply just focus on step two, then step three, it just, it's, it makes anything possible. Right. No, I love that. So at what point did you really start to feel like, look, I can make a living. I can make a career out of this. Like, did it happen just early where you caught a big break or was it like two years in and you're like, man, I don't know, maybe I should go back and get a job. It, it actually did happen pretty early, but I took a massive risk. So I started the channel timeline wise in October of 2016. And I was like, it became my life. I mean, I essentially would go to work. Uh, and like I said, I was able to do a little bit of work on my videos, like not editing, but I could like do some research and jot down some notes. Then I would go home and I would go to the gym and then I would have about three hours in the evening, three or four hours. And I would just work on videos. I would record, I would edit, and then I would go to bed, sleep for about six or seven hours get up, do the same thing. And even on the weekends, I just dedicated myself full time to the channel. So like, I remember when I was launching this channel, there was like a 10 week period where I didn't see anybody. I didn't like, I didn't leave my house other than going to the gym. Like I was blowing my friends off. I was like, sorry guys, I'm, I'm working on this thing. I'm throwing these videos out on the internet. They're calling me crazy. They're like, what, what are you doing posting these videos? Cause like at that point I had no social proof. No, I had very few people watching um, and pretty much also like, just to mention this too, it, it's tough because, um, you, uh, at times like that, when you're taking a massive risk and putting yourself out there, you're not going to have much support in terms of friends and family members. Like I remember my friends were all kind of like, are you sure you want to be like putting these videos on the internet? Like, aren't you embarrassed of like your people seeing them? And like, my dad was kind of didn't understand it either. Um, my mom was super supportive. She said, Hey, you know what? I think it's a great idea. And when I eventually decided to quit my job and do this, she was like the only one in my corner at the time. Everyone mm. else thought I was insane because I had a union job. I was making somewhere around like 60K, no college debt. Like by anyone's definition, I had it made. I'd like, I would hear that every time I went to like a party, like with adults or whatever, like a Christmas party or something like that. People would be like, oh, wow, you've got it made. You're going to retire when you're like 45 or, and things like that. And I was like, I certainly didn't feel like I had it made because I just didn't feel good inside. It just didn't serve me. Um, but yeah, I, I didn't have support early on from, from family members. But what I found is that um, after improving my production quality and doing video after video, I started to gain some traction. And I remember like the first couple months I made, this was back when you could monetize your channel from day one. Now you have to meet us small requirement of a thousand subscribers and 4,000 minutes of watch time. But in the first month, I think I made, it was like $2 or something like that total from ad revenue. Then the next month was like $7. Um, but then the third month, I believe it was somewhere around 40. So I was like, okay. A lot of people would look at that and be like, I made $40 for a month of work. But I looked at it as, Hey, I went from making $7 in a month to 40. Like I increased that, like more than five fold. So I was like, if I can just do that again and again, I'll be set. And that's what happened. The next month was a couple hundred dollars. And by six months in, I was making over a thousand dollars per month from this channel. And, and how then, many videos were you doing at that point? At that point, I was pretty much doing a video per day, which is not a strategy I recommend anymore because you're just going to burn yourself out and your quality is not going to be as good. I just do one video per week now. Um, but I was doing a video per day. And I remember like, when I made $1,000 in a month, it was like the, the gears really started turning in my head because I was like, okay, I am spending about 20 to 25 hours per week part-time on this thing that is making me $1,000 per month. And I love it. I'm spending 45 hours per week, if you counted my commute and whatnot, on this thing that I don't like. And it's making me about 6,000 per month. I was like, imagine if I could take those 45 hours and apply it to what I love, I could probably replace my income. Right. And it's funny because initially that was my only goal was I want to replace my income doing something that I love. And because I had, um, you know, kept my expenses very low and saved a lot of money. I mean, at the time I had my emergency fund of around $10,000 that I'd saved up. I had some money invested. So I, I, I was in a position where I could take this risk. And I pretty much, it was 
it was uh, June when I decided to just quit my job. So it was eight months in. I had consistently made about $1,000 per month for three months. And I was like, I, I just got to give this a shot. I figured that if it worked, that's great. And if it didn't work, well, I didn't really like this job anyway. So I wanted to, I would just find out something else to do with because this job really wasn't serving me. And so I took $5,000 out of my emergency fund, put it in my checking account. And I told myself that I would allow myself to use this $5,000 as like my freedom fund. Uh, and if I was able to make this business work and make money, then I would keep with it. But if I burned through that $5,000, I would just go get a different job because I didn't want to, I didn't want to financially drain myself. I didn't want to sell all of my stocks and burn through all of my money trying to launch this business. I figured $5,000 live as frugally as possible, spend as little as possible, dedicate myself to this channel and see if I can make it work. And uh, it, it, it did certainly work, which is good. Um, it wasn't like, you know, it wasn't like uh, straight up or anything. There was definitely some hills and valleys and trying to figure out different things. Um, but now I've scaled it to a point where it's, it's significantly more than, you know, what I was making at this job. Um, but that, that's the thing is that was never the goal. Uh, my, my goal was never, I want to make a boatload of money. You know, initially my goal was, Hey, I want to improve financial literacy and spread this information and hopefully help people avoid situations like getting their power shut off. And then it turned into, okay, I want to do this thing that I'm way more passionate about and just replace my income. But once you start earning money in ways outside of that, you know, the nine to five, where you're just exchanging your time for money, there's ways to scale and there's ways to make significantly more money than you do just, you know, working a day job. And that's ultimately what I found. I love it. One thing that I got a question about is you said that, hey, I'm going to quit my job now and I'm going to go full time dedicating myself to this. How like if you were already producing a video a day, what did going full time do for you? As in like you were just going to put more hours into learning SEO. Were you going to now bring on an assistant? Were you going to invest this money into ads? What did leaving your job and allowing you to really focus on it? What did that do? Yeah, that's a really good question. And what it allowed me to do was to like significantly improve the quality of my videos because a lot of my older videos I have taken down just because they were not my best work. And so like I would throw together a video of something and then I comments people saying, hey, this and this and that is incorrect. Or, you know, I'd make these mistakes and I was like, man, I know I'm not putting my best foot forward with some of these videos. So it allowed me to, number one, significantly increase the production quality of my videos. Number two, um, do more research on the video topics. And then number three, it also allowed me to like make a better plan for like, hey, what types of videos should I be making? Um, but I mean, that is a good point. And, and to that point as well, I also want to point out that, you know, if, if that was a job that I loved and that job really, you know, served me there's no reason that I would have had to quit my job. I could have continued to just do this as a side hustle and probably make a thousand dollars a month. And so a lot of people do exactly that where they have their nine to five and then they have their passion project on the side, which, you know, brings in some extra income. And I, and I think that is a phenomenal idea as well. And that's something I'm super passionate about as well is just pitching this idea of side hustles to people because it's really very possible to start a side hustle and if, if you had the goal of like making a couple hundred dollars per month of side income over the course of six months, you know, that's something that most people, in my opinion, could do. I would definitely agree. Do you think that it's still a good as good a time as ever to start a YouTube channel? And the reason why I asked that is because you said when you first got started, you looked at personal finance. There was not a lot of content out there. It didn't feel like it was super saturated and the quality wasn't that good. Well, nowadays, a lot of people might be looking at this and they say, look, it feels like there's 10,000 personal finance channels out there, right? And 7,500 of them is talking about stocks and investing. How can I be different? Do you think that there's still an opportunity or are you looking at other avenues? Personally, I, I think it's a lot tougher now to get started with YouTube. Um, and it's just the fact of, I was definitely very early to this trend. I mean, I was pretty much like the third money channel on YouTube. 
So I was able to benefit from that. Um, and I grew like exponentially because when, when there's such a small pool of content and so many searches, your videos are just going to get served up because YouTube is like, Hey, they're saying like, we don't have content around this topic. We got to put something there. So it was my video financial educations or Jack Chapel. And then eventually, you know, I don't remember the timeline as far as like Graham Stephan. He came in there around the same time. And he's he has now become the, the the personal finance goat of YouTube with like 2 million subscribers. So like props to him for sure. Um, but yeah, it was definitely easier in 2016 than it is today. It's not impossible today. Um, but if I were starting over, I would be going all in right now on TikTok, to be honest with you. Uh, in terms of building an audience, because that, in my opinion, is the fastest place to grow an audience right now. And it's also a platform where you can divert that traffic to your channel or to your blog or elsewhere. So um, it, it's not impossible, but it's not the platform I would start on right now. Got it. That's valuable information. And I appreciate you sharing it. Talk to me about investing now, because that's always where it been your passion. And you're just using all these different mediums. And now, like you said, you've co-authored a blog with someone else. And it's simple investing? Um, investing simple, actually. Investing simple. So talk to us about what what is investing simple and what should we know about it? Yeah, definitely. So um, it is a blog that I started with actually a high school friend of mine back in uh, August of 2018. So we're coming up on two years of running that blog. And I started for two reasons. Number one, obviously, there is a financial incentive to having a, a finance blog like that. Uh, but number two, the reason that we started that blog is because we were looking at a lot of online finance resources that were just very complicated. Um, and I used to always joke around with my friend. It was almost as if you needed a finance degree to understand these finance blogs. And it's like, that doesn't make any sense then, because for those who don't have a finance degree, myself included, you don't know what they're talking about. So our little slogan for investing simple is no finance degree required. And mm. we essentially do reviews and articles in the most simple terms possible. That way, anybody can jump on there and read up about these platforms and understand what we're talking about rather than using all this complicated go. Um, but yeah, for me, really, the, the blog came from me looking to serve people in a different way because I, I felt that I had really kind of capped out what I could do with YouTube and I was reaching the largest, largest audience possible. But I knew there was this much larger audience on Google uh, and so I decided to go after that uh, market as well. And I also looked at it from a standpoint, if we're talking business, I wanted to make sure that I had like a life raft if my YouTube channel just went under because right. YouTube is such a new platform and it's untested. You know, it's not like, you know, YouTube is not like getting a job and working that job for 40 years and then you're going to have your 401k and, uh, and your retirement and pension. That's not YouTube. Nobody knows what's going to happen with YouTube. And, and I feel like in some ways, I, like if I fast forward five years, I have no idea if my YouTube videos are still going to be recommended. I have no idea if there's like a shelf life on content or anything like that. So for me, I wanted to have a hedge in place in case, you know, the worst happened with my channel and I wasn't being recommended. And let's say five years from now, nobody is searching for me. So I also created that blog uh, as a means of uh, that life raft. So if the channel died, I could just jump on that boat and dedicate myself full time and scale that up. Because the big difference between YouTube and a blog is that you own the blog, you know, you own your website, you build it the way you want. And if you have an email list, you have direct contact with those people, like you own everything about that site. On YouTube, it's rented space. You know, you don't own your channel. Right. Uh, you know, you don't own your subscribers. Like I can't hit a button and email all of my subscribers. I can't even hit a button and have all the see my videos because even if you subscribe, YouTube is only going to serve up content based on your viewing history. So even though I have 600,000 subscribers, that doesn't mean that every video gets shown to 600,000 people because it's based on what YouTube serves up and what YouTube recommends. 
Uh, so for those reasons, it just seemed like a logical move to me to have that hedge and also be able to, you know, serve people in a different way. But by all means, I mean, if you're looking to learn, you know, about getting started with investing and you're like confused by the 13 different free commission free trading apps out there and the, the growing list and you're just like, what? I don't know which one to choose, what any of these things do. That's essentially what investing simple is, is we try to just explain it in the simplest way possible and help people get up and running. I love it. Do you now that's crazy because you went from one big medium to another big medium. Obviously, you know a lot about both of them. But do you think that right now for somebody that's even thinking about starting their own blog, which I want to say that what there's over like 600 million active blogs or something like that, I think I read. Is that right? And then there's like 40 million active YouTube channels. I mean, those numbers sound accurate to me. And I mean, I'm just going to be honest with you. If you're starting a something like this, the odds are against you. And I mean, you got to almost have, you have to almost be so driven that you would never give up. And like, mm -hmm. that was our attitude towards the blog as well, because like we were doing articles every single week, dedicating tons of time to this thing, getting like 10 hits from search per week. Like we had nothing for months. And like, I was just like, just keep going, just keep going. And even at times my business partner was like, what, what, what are we doing here, man? Like, why are we wasting our time with this? And I was like, just keep going. Uh, so for me, having been through the process of building up a channel, I was familiar with like the exponential growth factor. A lot of people don't realize this, but when you scale up online, it, it's usually exponential growth. And if you've ever looked at an exponential versus a linear growth chart, linear, obviously just being a straight line, a lot of people think it's linear growth. So like if you got one subscriber, you know, one week, next week, second, the next week, you're going to get a third and a fourth and a fifth, and it's just going to be linear growth. Well, that's not how online business works or growth of organic traffic from what I've seen. It's like you have nothing and nothing and nothing. And then it just explodes like a rocket. Once mm -hmm. Google finally says, hey, what is this channel? They take you seriously and they start wrecking you. So if you're, I, I would, I would put it this way, somebody who's starting a YouTube channel, somebody who's starting a blog, are you prepared to do it for six months with no results? And if you are, then I say, absolutely. I think you should do it 100%. But if you're the type of person who wants to start producing content and, and wants to start getting views and likes and subscribers in the first week, it's just not going to happen. I, it very, very rarely happens that way. And it's, it is a hustle and a grind for a long time until, until something, uh, something breaks with your channel and YouTube, well, not something breaks, but until you have a big break with your channel and YouTube recognizes a certain video and it starts getting pushed and then it just takes off from there. Um, like just for one story here quick, a friend of mine who I have kind of mentored with his YouTube channel has been doing it like a video per week for about nine months. And over that nine month period, he was able to get like 900 subscribers and wasn't making any money. And this guy is an attorney, so he makes good money. And I'm, he would message me all the time. He'd be like, man, I, I don't know why I'm doing this thing. Like I could be doing attorney. I could be doing like uh, work for my, uh, I could be doing work for my company I work for. I could be doing uh, legal stuff on the side and making side income. Why am I recording videos in my basement like this? I just feel like it's such a waste of time. And I would just tell him, keep at it, keep at it, you know, keep at it. And finally, he hit the monetization threshold. He was able to monetize his channel. And then he kind of switched his content to um, the EIDL program, which is part of the stimulus check, and yeah. all the stimulus, uh, and his channel started blowing up. Like he had a video about the EIDL program that got 100,000 views. Now, uh, two months later, he went from 1,000 subscribers. He just passed 10,000. He 10X'd his channel in like a two-month period. and wow. He told me that in his first two months on YouTube, he made $4,000 in ad revenue. Mm. So it's it. that, that can, that can happen. And that's usually what it looks like. Nothing for like six to nine months, maybe a year. And by nothing, I mean, you know, a very small amount of subscribers and views, but then it can just take off like that. And then every video he posts now is getting thousands of views. So if you're able to dedicate yourself for many months like that without results, then I absolutely, I think it's a great opportunity. But like I said earlier, if you're looking to get eyeballs on stuff as fast as possible, I, I firmly believe that is TikTok right now. 
uh, just based on what I'm seeing and, and the people that are growing so quickly on that platform. I love it. I love it. It's funny because in the beginning when you were talking about that, I thought you were talking about me, Kevin. <laughs> oh, okay. Gotcha. <laughs> I thought you were, do you know who me, Kevin is? I do. Yeah. He, dude, his channel has blown up too with all the stimulus check content and everything. Yeah. Right. Yeah. 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 Like- so it's, until you talk, until you said 10,000, I was like, you mentored me, Kevin. But uh, yeah, no, man, I appreciate you sharing that. And I definitely share those same beliefs. I think that it is tough right now, but if you can get into it, because I get the same thing for the podcast and people don't understand that for those first, like now we're on 125 episodes in, in just about a year, but people don't understand that there was so much of a grind that goes with it. Just like I told you, I have four of them today. So when you're when you're interviewing, when you're building relationships over the long term, whether you're building a relationship with your guests or whether you're building a relationship with your audience, it's still something that is a marathon. It's not a sprint, right? If you want to have Absolutely. sustainability over the long term. And so you can you can pop off really quickly, but then that's as quick as you'll die off too, because you haven't built it organically. So you don't really have a foundation. So mm-hmm. I love that you shared that. Talk to me about what does it mean to have a dream and to execute on that dream to you? Sure. Yeah. So I, I would say to have a dream, you know, it's very important to, to have something that you want to do regardless of how hard it is or how hard it may be. Because I think a lot of us are very risk averse and afraid of risk just based on our upbringings or, or something like that, or just our environment. And like, for example, you know, my dad was very risk averse. I mean, he's a, he was a financial advisor. That's what he did all day is risk reward profiles for clients and do this to be as safe as possible. And so I always had this dream of doing something close to what I'm doing right now, having an impact and teaching and, and, you know, I've always just, I've always enjoyed that. Um, So I always had that dream, but I would always get so caught up in like the how, you know, or the practicality or how's this going to work? How am I going to do that? You know? And so I think it's important to have whatever your dream is, don't focus so much on how am I going to do that? Because like I said earlier, you don't need to worry about step 57 until you're at 56 and you got to get to 57. Just focus on like step one, step two, step three. And so I think it's important to have a dream um, and not limit yourself with what you think is possible because you only have the tools in front of you today and you're only aware of what you know right now today. You mm-hmm. don't know what you're going to learn or what you're going to know in the next year or two years or five years. And you're probably going to look back and laugh at yourself because I know I do because I knew I wanted to do this and it took me like months of working my job and like building up the courage to actually like invest in myself. And looking back now, I'm like, my gosh, I should have just like walked out and quit that job. You know, like I believed in myself and, you know, and I'm not saying this, I'm certainly not saying that this is what everyone experiences when they quit their job and take a risk because some people fail and and that's part of the process too. And I certainly had numerous failures when I was younger with businesses and things I tried to start up. Um, But have your dream, whatever it is, and and don't focus so much on the practicality or the risk involved. And I love it. There's somebody out there right now that's super inspired by you, but they have that little voice in their head. And that little voice tells them that they're not smart enough, they're not strong enough, or maybe they just don't have enough resources. What's the one thing that you would say to that person to get them to just take action? I would say one of the things I've learned online is that you don't necessarily have to be an expert in a given field in order to teach others. And I think a lot of people think that if you're going to do videos about like a certain field, you have to have a degree in that or a background in that. Now that, that may be, that may be the case in some scenarios, but like, like let's say you were doing videos on home improvement you know, you don't have to be a construction expert to make videos on like projects around the house or things like that. And one of the favorite, one of my favorite quotes I've ever heard, something along the lines of, um, you only have to be one chapter ahead of the people that you're teaching the last chapter to. So you don't have to have mastered the whole book. You just have to be on chapter three, and then you can lend a helping hand and teach people chapter two. And I would actually argue that you're going to be a better teacher because you just learned the whole process yourself. Whereas 
Like, for example, if you're doing a DIY project and you're showing somebody how to build something and you, and you just learned how to build it yourself, you remember all of the pain points and all the difficulties and spots where you screwed up. Whereas if you've been building your entire life, you're going to give someone a tutorial, you're not going to make any mistakes, and you're not going to really provide as much value as somebody who just went through that process. So I, would agree. I think the idea of expertise is... Um, something that needs a new definition, especially online. And I think people in the process of something actually often have more wisdom to share than the experts. I love it, man. This has been a phenomenal conversation and I appreciate you coming on. I want to be the first one to kick off the thank you train. For anybody else that is wanting to stay connected with you, we'll make sure we put the show, we'll make sure we put the links in the show notes, but where can they find you at? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I certainly appreciate you having me on as well. And I always on podcasts will make this offer. If you if anybody has an individual question for me, uh, if you shoot me a message on my Instagram and you mention like, hey, I'm coming over from the Dream Nation podcast, my question is blank. I will always do my best to answer those questions because you know you've invested your time in me in this podcast and you've sought and out, you've sat down and listened to me. And so I want to, you know, thank you and pay you back for that. So if you have any questions, Mention you came over from the Dream Nation podcast, and I will do my best to answer those for you. I love it, man. Well, remember Dream Nation and the dream we trust. But just as he said, you only got to be one chapter ahead and you must take action or otherwise it'll only merely be a fantasy. We'll catch you on the next one. That's all we got for this episode. Thank you for sticking around. That truly means a lot to me. And hopefully that means that we delivered massive value on this one. If you haven't already, the way that you could say thank you to myself and the team is just by heading over to iTunes and leaving a review and a rating. That's what iTunes loves to see. That's how we get out there even more. And I would definitely, definitely be grateful for it. I know the team would as well. Do me a favor and head on over to dreamnationpodcast.com. That's where you're going to be able to find all of the resources that we talked about in today's episode, as well as more exclusive content. And you'll also be able to sign up to our email list where we have more exclusive content. And we always love to hear the feedback from you all because you're our tribe. So remember, in the dream we trust, we'll see you on the flip side. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.